Hello, friends. This is Michael Gormley coming at you forever. You shall bow. Recording this little intro because we got a bonus episode. That's right. I was recently on the show Better Preach, the Better Preach podcast with Ryan O'Hara. Ryan is an awesome dude. He has been involved in evangelization efforts for years, speaking to Catholic audiences all across the United States. So someone once asked him, hey, what would you do to make Catholic speakers and homilists better and better preach is his response to that. He's available everywhere. You can get podcasts like an Apple podcast, Google, Spotify, Overcast. He's even on YouTube. Great stuff here. I also want to take this opportunity to mention there is a couple movies coming out that I'm super pumped for. Don't know when you're going to get this audio, but the movie that I'm super pumped for, Fathom Events, has two movies coming out. One is called What is Love on October 16th. So eh, maybe you can see it. Maybe maybe this will come out too late. The other one is called Free. So What is Love is about love and relationships. It's obviously very Catholic, but it's meant for secular audiences, for anyone to kind of hear the difficulties, joys, hopes, sorrows of actually trying to have a good, solid Catholic relationship. The other movie, Free, is about the exact opposite. It's not about marriage and good relationships. It's about monasticism. It's about entering contemplative solitude and what does that mean? And so this camera crew, Bosque Films, was given unprecedented access to like 10 or 15 different monasteries in Spain. And you will not see the name in the lower thirds of any of the monks or nuns that they interview. They are totally anonymous. But they were given explicit permission for, I mean, like this is super rare, for a camera crew to go behind the walls just so they can explain the power of their life. Why would a normal person leave the world in order to enter into the monastery. I found it absolutely gripping. The visuals are stunning. It's awesome. That's coming out, Fathom Events. The movie's called Free on November 2nd, just a one-day release on November 2nd. Super excited about getting Catholic media out there. There was another Fathom event I just saw a couple weeks ago called Mother Teresa and Me. We just had a big release for That Man Is You, uh, Paradisius Day, our, our big parent organization, we partner with 4PM Media and Wild Goose TV. We released the uh, Joyful Mysteries of the Rosary, filmed where the events took place in the Holy Land. Mark Hartfield and a whole bunch of other people. Sister Alexia's testimony is amazing. Talk about the rosary from this perspective. Trying to get you to pray not just the words, but to go deeper into the mysteries. The Sorrowful Mysteries was released last Lent. This is in time for you to get a parish group organized and watch and pray the rosary for Advent season, perfect for the Joyful Mysteries. But yeah, we I want to encourage you to take advantage of these wonderful opportunities that new media and supporters like you are creating. So there's so much that is going on. We have an embarrassment of riches today. And one of those is Ryan O'Hara's podcast, Better Preach. So let me give you a little intro to this. I'm a little fussy. I get a little fussy, a little cynical, a little cynical Gomer comes out in the beginning. I get a priest today and homilies, blah, blah, blah. But just listen to it. Listen to the episode. I think it's awesome. And he really enjoyed it. And he said, you know, it was one of his longer episodes because I don't know how to stop talking, as is evident right now. But I hope you all can just bask in this. It is beautiful. I think Ryan does an excellent job balancing the charisma. He has excellent questions. And just kind of weaving the the whole story of what does it mean to preach the gospel, whether it's a talk, whether it's an event, whether it's Holy Mass, what does it mean to bear witness to the Son of God made flesh? Okay, without further ado, hope you enjoy this. God bless y'all. Adios.
Mike Gormley, welcome to uh, the Better Preach podcast. I'm really glad that you're here today. Thanks for taking time to connect. Yeah, this is awesome. Now that I work from home, get to do this all the time. It's great. It is great. Like I'm sitting in my basement, you're sitting at home, and uh, we are thousands of miles apart and still get to to connect. I love that. When did we start using the term Catholic speaker for lay people? And is this a good development? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting because most speakers, uh, what we would call speak, the people who give talks or speeches, right? Like there's yeah. always been orders and rhetoricians and stuff like that. But um, hiring a guy to come for 30 minutes and give a talk at your youth group or, you know, to do whatever, it is it is a relatively new phenomenon. I mean, I, I'm sure there's always been uh, well-formed lay people in the life of the church who have, you know, given talks and, and whatnot and done teachings. But it's a non-classroom environment where the goal is oftentimes is more preaching, right? You're trying to convict someone more than just inform people. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's new. I think it's with the rise of the laity um, in the last hundred or so years that you see this movement kind of growing. I also think it's uh, a response to <laughs> this might make some people mad, but a response to the poverty of clergy and their ability <laughs> to give. Uh, effective teaching and preaching. And I think, sure. my, man, I remember my a buddy of mine, he was a seminarian and during the summer they assigned him to a parish. And so he's there and he's working at this parish and he would go to daily mass. And at one point he just walked up to the priest and goes, look, you don't care. We don't care. Just skip the homily, please. Cause it was like on the mustard seed and the guy's like, well, there are many different kinds of seeds. There are, and he just named a bunch of seeds and then said like something vague about the gospel and then moved on. And you're, what what are you doing? <laughs> so I think there's this need that there are really good Catholics who are really good at speaking, who know how to communicate difficult subjects simply and effectively and powerfully. And um, they are not really taught that in seminaries. And um, really what they're taught is give them three points, keep it under 10 minutes, you know, whatever. So I just think the seminary formation is so terrible that there's this huge gap. Uh, and we have access, which, I you know, we can talk about more uh, online and with these new events that have kind of grown up around the real hunger out there for knowledge and truth for laity in community. So you got the conference culture, you have um, books and media, you have online components, all of these things that kind of foster and build this up. But yeah, it is, it is a weird phenomenon. When you think about, I, the only person I'm responsible to is, is really me as an independent speaker. I mean, I have a, an organization I work with that man is you, but um mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I do tons of parish missions and things that have nothing to do with that, I mean, as you. So who am I responsible to? My bishop. I, I check in with my pastor, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not a part of an order like the passionists who give retreats and stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And and actually, to that point, I don't give as many talks as maybe some of the, the most sought after Catholic speakers out there. You know, a good handful each year and sometimes parish missions, sometimes retreats. And yet I don't experience that kind of accountability. Would it be helpful to have like a kind of a board of advisors? Because again, as Catholics, we do live and exist under authority. And certainly within my yeah. local church here, the ordinary, the bishop, yes, but I'm not checking in with him, you know, as to <laughs> what I'm doing day to day. I've got a, a letter in good standing, or but that there's it kind of yeah. ends there, you know. Do, would, do right. you ever feel like there's more that, that could be done around that or should be done? I actually hadn't thought about this, talking about this until we're just getting into it. 
So I don't know what your thoughts are. If yeah. it's, where is it needed or where is it not needed? Actually, what you're seeing right now is the um, judicial vicars of various dioceses getting super, I think, antsy. I think too many dioceses are listening to lawyers and they're getting so afraid that laity are falling under, lay speakers are falling um, under those criteria that govern the incarnation of priests. So like priests just can't be priests anywhere. They have to be incarnated, right. whether it's in an order or a, a diocese. They share in or participate in the the holy orders of their bishop. And so right. when a priest is going to some other place, they have to be given specific per- permission as a visiting priest. You can say mass here, you can do this here, sure. do this here, um, you know, whatever. And they're getting tighter on that to where they have to say, like, I will speak from 2.30 to 3.30 in this church or whatever. And I, to the point where I had a priest who, you know, they had so many people show up, they moved it to the main church from the gym. Hmm. And the bishop was there and he's like, or not the bishop, but uh, w- one of the chancery priests was there. And he's like, you cannot give the talk today because you only have permission to do it in the gym. Seriously. So um, I'm, yeah. So I'm finding that among lay speakers. Yeah. And it deeply bothers me because it's only for, you know, they say, well, the bishop has the authority uh, and, and has the, the duty to govern catechesis within his diocese. Absolutely true. Letters of good standing, safe environment with youth and vulnerable adults. 100%, you know, I'm all in favor of getting that letter of good standing saying I'm a, I'm a practicing Catholic because here's my pastor, yeah. not some chancery, but my pastor who knows me, hears me give talks or whatever. Right? I'm involved in the local parish. They should write that letter of recommendation. You should have one a year. Uh, you should submit it to your diocese. You should renew it every year. I, I think so. But what we're finding is my question then becomes, are you doing this level of scrutiny to the people that can do the most damage, a.k.a. the parish priest or deacon who is doing this day in and day out, week in and week out, right? So there's this scrutiny over outside speakers. To me, is a level of bizarreness that I am deeply uncomfortable with, especially since you know, the code of canon law gives the rights of the laity, uh, enumerates them. And the very first one is the right to preach the gospel. I had a buddy who's a musician and the, the, the chancery at some diocese said, you can only play here, here and here. And you may not do it. And, and it said in the response to him, and you may not do it anywhere else. That's like, you're telling me I can't play my guitar or, or sing hymns anywhere. Like, come on. So, um, do you do that for the choirs that are there week in and week out? No. Why? I find that um, when our, especially our content as speakers, the talks that we give, many of them are on podcasts. They're, you know, I have 300 plus talks for free on sound. People have YouTube channels and all this stuff. It's like, you you can find the content that we share right here. You know, like often people are brought in because they have books and they have media and, and, and all these other things. Uh, I don't have any books, but uh, <laughs> so you have this stuff and it's like, yeah, you can fact check us. You can do all that stuff to us. Um, but we're not causing the most damage, you know, in case of something bad happening, right? And I'm not saying all priests are terrible. I, I sound very negative against the clergy, but there's this frustration I've been feeling, like, because I hate going to my pastor. I was like, hey, you have to fill this out in these three different ways, even though you do this every week for me. They want all this different stuff. And I'm sending out dozens and dozens and dozens of the same letter, slightly different worded, you know, and that drives me insane. Yes. And so there's this sort of bureaucratic oversight. But not a lot of pastoral common sense wiggle within these situations. And still as lay people, how can we stay, stay rooted and stay connected? Should I get a a group of lay people and priests who I submit my plans to, if you will, every six months to just to invite input or 
content review or something. This is kind of a new thing for me. I'm launching off into doing more of this. And so I'm reflecting on it and yeah. you've done quite a bit of it. What could or should lay people do to, to do this well, do it faithfully? Yeah, I think honestly here is the strongest thing I can say for lay people is you have to be involved at your local parish, hmm. right? You have to be involved. If you want to be a traveling speaker guy or gal, you have to be involved in discipleship in your parish. Yeah. Because what's going to happen is you're going to travel from place to place to place. And, uh, you know, any Hickman said this to me when I, I first said that to him, um, well, I want to be a, you know, full time speaker. He was like, dude, yeah, you get on a plane, you land, you give the talk you've given a hundred times, your jokes you could set your watch to. Everyone loves it. They cry, they laugh, they hug you. You get on a plane, you leave. It's the most affirming thing in the world. You're not doing discipleship. And uh, for 17 years, I did full-time parish ministry because yeah. I was so convicted of that message of yeah. I need to be doing discipleship. The one thing that got me to kind of, you know, scuttle the ships and try to be a full-time speaker now is, one, I'm yoked to a ministry. Uh, I, I assist with that man as you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is in my speaking function um, in my traveling around and doing these side events. I'm also meeting up or doing these events for my website, layofangelist.com. Yep. I then go and meet up with donors and benefactors and participants of that man as you. So it's like this fun little side thing. And they, and they don't pay me a lot of money for it. I'm very grateful for every dollar I get from them. But they, they kind of like are a safety net for me to go out and do all this other stuff. Sure. Um, but then at the same time, I'm at my local parish and I'm volunteering doing catechesis for high school students. And I say this because that pastor, my pastor, I'm in communion with, yeah. right? So I have a relationship with him. We talk about these things often, and that grounds me. It grounds me, one, because I, I sit there with a textbook that I am teaching from so that my, my, you know, I'm not teaching Michael Gormley's version of, you know, introduction to Catholicism for the high school students. I'm teaching you know, the Didache series that was approved by this bishop for this, you know, for his diocese. I'm a member of the ordinariate, so we're all of North America. So, yes, I think lay people need to be. I have priests that I send my talks to um, to get their feedback, uh, mostly just to get their compliments and praise me. Just kidding. But uh, <laughs> I do that stuff all the time. And I think I as lay that. people, um, it behooves us to do this because, uh, you know, we, we can get caught up in our own marketing material. And you can give great talks and go to hell. I'd rather mm. not do that second one, even if it comes at the cost of not doing that first one anymore. So always being in check is is very important. Well, I appreciate you going there because actually in all these conversations um, over the last year, this piece hasn't really come up. And I, I love that yeah. you'd send your talks to, to priests and get some feedback. The whole yeah. James 3 thing, like, you know, most of you should not aspire to be teachers because of the the harsher judgment we'll receive, that should stop many of us in our tracks yeah. and sober us up, particularly yeah. on the road or outside of our community and so on, because there's just much less accountability out there. Um, let's go back a bit. First or worst, everybody gets that question. Do you have a story about your first talk, a good story about your worst talk? Yeah, first talk, I was a high school student uh, we were kicking off life team at, at the, at the church. Um, our church is currently meeting in a public high school cafeteria area. And so where life team met was called the pit. And, uh, <laughs> all the kids are sitting around and they asked me to give, a, to give a talk about my Catholic faith. And I had already had a reputation, even though we didn't have youth group. I was there for maybe like three months. Um, 
getting my confirmation. So it was like, I got in there the last three or four months. I moved um, to the Woodlands, Texas area, which is in Houston from Oklahoma. And uh, so I already had this reputation of being a, a nerd for the faith and stuff. And so they asked me to give a talk. And this was the, this wasn't the first, this is like the first like real talk. I, I helped assist Totus Tuus Ministries teaching a class on the Trinity. And I epically failed at that. But this was like the first, like, you are the guy that we want to give this presentation. Yeah. And it was supposed to be about a 15 minute testimony as a team, why the church matters to me and my Catholic faith. And I turned it into a 30 minute, like confession where it was like, Oh, I'm struggling with this and all this. stuff, And all the parents are like horrified, <laughs> all the chaperones, all the core members to this day, they, they still come up to me and we talk about it. it. And it's like, shut it. this kid down. <laughs> but no one knew how the, yeah. everything was so new. You know, the parent volunteers and all this stuff. No oh, one knew how man. to just walk up and be like, wow, that's great. Could maybe you take it in this different angle? <laughs> Not oh, tell us every gosh. mortal thing you ever committed as a high school boy with an internet connection. <laughs> well, my favorite description of that was a priest from uh, St. Louis, Father Bill Kemp. We would do these retreats. I was new to campus ministry and they would have these talks were basically like just a series of what you just described. And he says, this is just yeah. inappropriate self-disclosure, <laughs> you know, and yeah. like, that's Wild exactly word. right. It's like, I think we're, is this, is this for the confessional? Like literally when I was a youth minister and I moved to Austin, the the first thing I did was shut down a, re- a youth led retreat and all the kids were so mad at me. You know, yeah. here I am the new guy doing this. And I said, I said, just tell me what this retreat. I, I, I was like, I already know all this. Whenever I hear peer led retreat, my, yeah. my, you know, whatever, it just it makes my blood curdle. But, uh, so I said, well, what is it? And they said, well, you know, we give these testimonies and they're so powerful. I was like, really? They're powerful. Are you just one upping each other uh, as to the sin and hurt in your life? And this kid stopped and he stared at the ground. He's like, holy holy crap that's all we do yeah you just realize like you know there's like oh i was assaulted oh i i too was assaulted and i almost died oh i died and they resuscitated (laughs) me back on the way to the hospital oh i was dead for 10 minutes and uh they already donated my organs and then i you know it's like they're one upping each other on pain and suffering and awfulness and then i he he said to me uh come on man like there's just one woman her life was changed at the freshman retreat that the seniors put on so now that she's a senior she wants to do the same. I said, does she go to church? And he goes, no, see, that's the point. Like, this is the one thing she's been looking forward to. And I said, so you want me to have a church retreat where I have people who don't go to church tell young, impressionable freshmen what it means to be a Christian? He just looked at me again. He's like, okay, oh. I see why you're canceling this. It's <laughs> like, no, no, not doing it. The oh, overshare man. is not happening. So when did you realize you sort of took it that direction? Did somebody pull you aside afterwards or what kind of feedback did you get? Oh, I got zero feedback that year. You right. know, I, I had a of bunch course. of feedback from high school students who were like, oh my gosh, I'm struggling with the same thing. Sure. But the core team, until they, we all became like much, much more personal, did they start saying like, yeah, you kind of went a little bit far. And, and I didn't realize that at the time. And I'm like, oh, you know, because for high school students, a lot of it is, and, and I get the same thing with college students, sometimes with 20 somethings, but not really, is the idea of being real means being brutally raw. Yeah. And there's zero discretion. There's zero understanding of like appropriateness. Yeah. Because you think everything's appropriate because I'm being honest. Because it's true. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's this, uh, misunderstanding in their, in their minds between what is fitting. And I think that's a large part of giving talks, like different audiences need different things. And, you know, us right now, we're going to talk about things differently for a different audience than 
you know, I would talking to my own kids. It doesn't mean I'm lying to them, but it means it, what's fitting and what's not fitting for the talk, for the audience, for the time frame, for the, you know, whatever. I want to get into your experience as, as somebody working in the parish, but also who has probably led uh, groups to conferences, also sp- spoken at many conferences over the years. And now there's content out there on the internet. And mm. how is a youth minister who doesn't have as much training and education, how are they supposed to compete with everything that's available online? And you know what? The best talks online, you know, not necessarily even Christian ones, you have to be a magnificent communicator to keep a teenager's attention. Just watch TikTok for, you know, 10 minutes. You can, you can see, you know, how quickly I watch my son flip through TikTok, you know, and I'm, I'm amazed at how quickly he's making decisions. Now it might be because dad's looking over his shoulder or whatever, but (laughs) nonetheless, you know, attention spans are such. So, what has been your philosophy as all of these things are emerging? How do you help deliver a, a comprehensive content plan that, that incorporates live speaking, conferences, and content? What's, what's been kind of like your yeah. approach to, to all of that? Let me start with my most recent kind of love affair that I've been doing for, for several years, which is a, a modified form of the RCIA called Inclusion. So in the right of for RCIA, it says basically there's three categories of people, the unbaptized, the baptized, but poorly catechized and the baptized, but well catechized. And all three of these people are non-Catholics, right? So you got well-formed Protestants, right? And so here in Texas, almost all of our denominations are conservative Orthodox, right? I was talking to someone in San Francisco and I was like, well, you know, you can presume the Methodist, you know, or Trinitarian and, you know, and this one lady's like, nope, not here. Wow. I was like, oh, okay, well, (laughs) Texas is not like uh, San Francisco. So one of the things you realize with the baptized and well catechized is the right itself tells you to dispense with all the minor stuff, right? You, you just bring them in yeah. and you can, you can do different things, but um, they're already baptized. So they already belong to us, though imperfectly in, in a certain way. And so the goal of that is to give them an experience of the community and to correct any differences in teaching. And so what I realized was, you know, we were putting a well-formed lifelong Baptist uh, in a chair next to, uh, you know, someone who was an atheist their whole life and it was never opened the Bible once. And that's very right. frustrating for people like that. So inclusion was let's address the through 10 weeks, 10 topics. We're going to get into the meat of what separates Protestants from Catholics and Protestants from one another and blah, 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 and do a deep dive there. And so that's what we would do now. Content wise, I know like I love teaching these topics, you know, the papacy, um, Marian belief, communion of saints. Um, I love walking them through Genesis chapter one, two, and three, and just setting the stage for what the Catholic church teaches about everything that follows, right? Salvation history, all of this stuff. So in constructing this, like I know I have personal self-knowledge that I can keep a room of adults who just went to work and just ate dinner. I can keep their attention from seven o'clock to eight 30, uh, because of my speaking power, because of my going back and forth, because of my just joy and love and ability to voice and modulate and uh, or voice modulate all this stuff. Like they're following me and sure. I, and I constantly check to see if they're tracking right now. I can't give them everything that I want to give them. So I create these wonderfully curated handouts on like, let's say salvation history that I got from uh, St. Paul center, Scott Hans thing. So I'll have that. 
I'll have that formatted. And then what I do is I go and I send them afterwards links to additional resources if they want to know more. Because even though, you know, the last 20 minutes of class is Q&A, they need to be able to own it in a bigger way, right? Yep. And so my goal in that class is to always keep them learning. So our two textbooks are the Bible and the catechism. And I reference the catechism. I'll have them do reading. I have them do read a chapter a day of the gospel of Mark um, for yeah, until they until the class is over and just keep reading and praying through that over and over again. Um, because I want them steeped in the life of Christ and I want them steeped in the teaching of the church. And when I'm doing my talks and all this stuff, I'm pulling out and synthesizing in a way that I don't like a, a talk versus a recorded talk. Yeah, I mean, functionally, they're going to be the same thing, but it's totally different when I'm walking around a room seeing whose eyes are lighting up because they get it and whose who's aren't and they need more help, right? Um, that's the difference. The, the inner dynamism of a teacher to student needs to be there, I think, for the most effective form of catechesis. And I think being in person covers a multitude of sins. If you're not a great speaker or you don't know how to hold people's attention for a long period of time, or maybe you don't know how to hit all the high points well, um, then what you do is you shorten your talk. So, uh, so you make it less hard on yourself, right? But being personal and knowing them and engaging them and sharing with your own story and, and making eye contact with them, that covers a lot of the, okay, so you're not a professional polished speaker. You're a catechist, you're a volunteer, you're a new youth minister, whatever it might be. I think that's super helpful. And then lastly, I would say when it comes to conferences, conferences are interesting. Um, conferences, parish missions, um, you know, e even to a certain extent retreats, but most retreats aren't run like silent retreats. They're run almost like a conference, right? Mm -hmm. I would say this, the way I view them is they are excellent or they can be an excellent catalyst, but they're mm -hmm. not discipleship, right? Again, the goal is lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. The goal is not for them to like my talk today, right? So what I want is to address their lifelong discipleship. So the when I think about that structurally, that affects the way I do my catechesis in the classroom. It affects the emails that I send out to them with additional resources before or after. But also at a conference, what I realize, okay, so I'm a, I'm a youth minister taking a bunch of kids to, let's just say a Steubenville Youth Conference, three-day sure. conference, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, they're going to go there, come back. We'll say, you know, I live in Houston. The big one's in in Dallas. Um, they're going to go to Zoomville Lone Star. What do I do? I tell youth ministers this all the time. Two to three meetings before the event, 10 meetings after the event. Mm. And most people do the opposite, right? They want to have a strong, small group and they want to have, you know, all this going into it if they do anything at all. Um, and they build it up, you know, beforehand. Then they go off to this, this wonderful conference, well-oiled machine. I'm a part of them. You know, it's one of the most professional experiences I've ever been a part of. Um, professional and prayerful from sure. the, you know, how the sausage gets made side. I mean, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, but the youth ministers drop the ball post, right? Yeah. Usually most places that I've seen, they'll do like a reunion or a, you know, a one day, maybe two to three weeks out where the, all the kids who went on their trip come together and maybe you have a pizza party and you share photos and you tell stories and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, no, no, no. That's where the small groups that they tell you to have on the actual conference, that's where they solidify into actual life change or else it was a cathartic experience in the name of Jesus, you know, for one weekend. But again, our structure is lifelong discipleship, not high school discipleship, not ninth grade summer trip discipleship, but lifelong. So what am I going to do 
as the person in charge to lead someone into that direction. And yeah, I mean, those are, those are the big, I don't know, touch points there. So then what can a young youth minister or somebody who's doing catechesis with, you know, uh, kind of elementary school kids or, or again, high school kids, Yeah, what can they do to take a leap as mm-hmm. a teacher, as somebody who's new to this, it's part of their responsibility. They have some, some maybe natural gifting, but not a whole lot of experience. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are some things they could do to really level up quickly from your experience? Okay. This is, this is my advice. And I, I honestly think this is the truest. It's been reaffirmed by all my, all my anecdotes are in a row here. <laughs> but, um, if, if you have a fundamental giftedness, even a slight giftedness in the area of public speaking. Sure. The next step is whatever subject you're teaching, you need to become a, as much as you can, a subject matter expert in that thing. And Reverend Timothy Gell, uh, Keller, God rest his soul, just yeah. died recently. Um, Presbyterian pastor in New York City. He, um, he had this phrase that he said one time and I thought it was so brilliant. He said, if you read a book, you can get an insight. If you read two books, you can get two insights. If you read three books, you can get three insights. Now, some books have lots of insights, but it takes a whole book to kind of unpack it, right? Sure. Um, and so his, his statement by saying that was, if you have to give a talk on the Eucharist, right? Most people, what they do is they don't think about it until the day of, and they kind of pull from the bank of knowledge that they already have, and they maybe go online or, or they get the catechism and they read through the in brief, you know, and then they pull up a couple Bible verses and something. Maybe they read an article or two. My view is do the exact opposite. When I was a new youth minister coming out of school, now granted, okay, exceptions made. I was a nerd and I had an undergrad in philosophy and theology. So yes, if you don't have that, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But I would spend hours preparing, not preparing for a talk per se, like hours writing out outlines and all this stuff. I would spend hours immersing myself in the knowledge of that subject. So then I would create an outline or bullet points or whatever for my talk. And I would be able to have quotes, testimonies, you know, things like that, that, that just built it up. And so when kids ask a question, my goal is I'm always trying to anticipate their objections, not just their mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like constant, like you, if you just have the basic knowledge, you can do that. Right. So it is better to overstudy in those areas because I think you'll be more prepared even for the impromptu stuff that comes up. Now you might have had a bunch of books lying around and, and, and you'd learned the art of learning. But for, again, for maybe a, a youth minister who doesn't have a, a degree in theology and maybe they're not working towards their masters right now, where, where could mm-hmm. they go? Like, you know, take, mm-hmm. a, take a session on, you know, on confession uh, or on, you know, the Marian dogmas or something. Where, where could they go to kind of do some of that, if you will, almost like remote preparation before they actually yeah. get to the yeah. approximate preparation? Where could they go to without, without, you know, spending a million dollars on books. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, honestly, I think your best guide, where do you go first is you go to the catechism. Yep. Okay. Right. If you're a catechist, you go to the catechism. Mm-hmm. When you go to the catechism, right, you can go to it online. It is for free at the Vatican.va, the world's sure. weirdest website with parchment paper background. <laughs> you highlight. So let's say you're going to give a talk on, um, we'll just keep, keep it to Mary, right? Sure. Go in there, go into the, 
part one of the catechism, section one, go down or section two, go down to the part where, you know, um, was conceived of the Virgin Mary, sure. right? Go get that section that goes to the Marian dogmas, copy and paste it into a word document, right? Edit it. I get a little fuzzy with my editing, but edit it. So it's maximally readable and note takeable. Usually that means I put fat margins on them. Sure. Uh, maybe you're the type of person that needs a uh, double spacing or whatever. Sure. I like, I get fussy about my fonts that help me read and break down things. Quotes I'll put on, like, I will make sure like I double indent and I put them in a different font and I make sure I have the, I know where the quote, the source is being quoted from in the footnote. And I read through that area, right? So I take our, the, the Marian dogmas, you know, you read through it and you pay particular attention to the opening sentences of every article. Right. Like everything we affirm about Mary defends what we affirm about Jesus. Something right. like that. Um, and so you sit there and you're like, oh, this is what the church is emphasized. OK, OK. And then you read through that to make sure you have that material covered. Hmm. And then you can look at the footnotes and say, OK, where are they uh, referencing these? Things? Right. And then the second thing I would say is just start Googling Catholic content. There's so much stuff out there. If you need to let's say you were given a talk on a Monday. Uh, a talk assignment and you need to actually give the talk on Mary at uh, the following Sunday. So you're giving it on Monday, the next Sunday, you got to, you work a full-time job, right? What do you do? Well, you go to Catholic answers, you pull up some apologetic stuff because that's going to give you some of the objections that people have. It's going to give you the why behind the what the catechism gives you the what and a little bit of the why mm -hmm. apologetics gives you a lot more of the why, especially in terms of modern objections or Protestant objections or Catholic objections or whatever it might be. And then you go through that stuff, right? And then you look at spirituality stuff, right? So you Google stuff on, on Marian spirituality and you maybe take a couple Marian prayers and you're going to bookend your, or maybe don't even bookend. Maybe weave throughout your whole talk, Marian prayers, Marian devotions. Oh, look how these three apologetic questions line up with the memorare or something like that. I do that often. I'll tell you, you know, one of the most effective catechesis uh, for Protestants becoming Catholic, whose number one objection is Mary, is to walk them through Marian devotions, litanies to the Blessed Mother, the Hail Mary and the Memorare, the Hail Holy Queen, right? Like when we when we go through these prayers, right? You see, like, oh, this isn't all that bad. Like, I, just walking, I said, what's the most prayed prayer to a saint? The Hail Mary. Yeah. Okay, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. That's all the Archangel Gabriel. Blessed right. is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Okay, Jesus, great. The the. <laughs> the acclamation of her cousin elizabeth wonderful holy mary mother of god we can argue about mother of god but elizabeth says the mother of my lord lord means god come on let's go uh holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen you walk them through that prayer yeah. guess what you just did there's no mary worship there's no idolatry right it's yeah. will you pray for me now and yeah. when i die yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah that's the summation we quote a bunch of scripture and they'll sit there and i'll never forget that like walking them through they just I had no idea. I had no idea. So these are the reason why I say this is these are the things that are already kind of in their lives, the lives of the students, the lives of the speakers, like Marian devotions, Marian feast days, liturgical. Um, like you want to give a good apologetics for, for Mary, go look up that, uh, feast days or that solemnities readings for that day, mm. right? Get those, pull those out, pray through those, weave those into your talk. I'm telling you, there's cash money there. And it's easy and it's free. There's so many websites out there that have this stuff. That's excellent. And I love that. That's a wonderful survey of what somebody could do today to, to prepare for a talk, you know, a week from now. Help me understand what they then do. How mm -hmm. should they take that information 
And how do they put a talk together, again, say for teenagers, that will be effective? My goal for everything. So when you go to Franciscan University and you take a catechetics class, they hammer into you Pope John Paul's document, Catechesi Tridende. Yes. And uh, CT, Catechesi Tridende, paragraph 19 and paragraph 20. I mean, my wife, when I first met her, she was all about catechetics. You know, she loves, you know, Sister Johanna and all these people in there, Professor Bolster. And they would just say all the time, CT20, CT20, CT20. What are we doing? Understanding and change. Every talk is to do two things. It's to give them greater understanding and to lead to change. A lot of times when we would do these exercises where you have to write understanding and change, like at the end of this talk, the students will understand more about how Mary is you know, um, the holiest of all humans, but is not God and make the distinction between divinity and, you know, creatureliness. And then the change people will say they will realize Mary is, you know, uh, an intercessor. It's like, no, that's an understanding. Yes. Like everyone wants to put more understanding in their, in their, in their change. And so these drills forced me to say like, they will do this differently tomorrow. Yes. Right. That's how I wanted to get it that specific. Um, and so I began writing talks with this understanding of they need to move to a new action, a new way of being in the world, not just new mental concepts, uh, formation, not just information, way of life, right? And life of discipleship, right? We talk about a whole lifetime of discipleship is your goal because Jesus is a way, right? So we're, we're these are practices, not just intellectual content. So when you start to take your, your, um, your talk. Let's say you're giving a talk on Mary to high school students. One of the first talks I ever gave was called There's Something About Mary. And uh, I was a high school student at the time. Uh, (laughs) I think I want to say it was like six months after that testimony. Might have even been that night. Oh my gosh. Uh, Time, time robs us of all things. (laughs) But um, but yeah, so like, okay, so you're going to do a couple Marian prayers. Maybe the Marian prayers is going to be your theme that drives or organize your organizing principle. Yep. Right. So you want someone to not just understand and let, let's say take uh, the the Hail Holy Queen mm-hmm. and you want to walk them through that prayer. Um, and then in walking them through, you're going to hit these three major paragraphs in the catechism and link it with these Bible verses kind of back up what we believe about Mary. Right. So then like as Catholics, our goal is not to give disjointed talks. There's a wonderful document. That, again, we had to go through this a bunch of times at Francis. And are we really teaching religion by Frank Sheen? Mm. And in his document, are we really, it was a, a speech that he gave to an Irish teaching order. And all these nuns are there with this Australian who lived in London and he's given this talk to Irish nuns. And his question was, you know, they know Our Lady of Fatima, the Trinity, like all of these things, but they're just kind of like scattered, like items on a tabletop. And he's like, they don't, they're not harmonized. Mm. And so many Catholics, like that's why our catechesis is so ineffective. It's just a bunch of things categories it's content which is kind of an ugly word when you think about it it's just content but that's what it's becoming and so for us for me the organizing principle is the paschal mystery mm-hmm. the life death and resurrection and ascension mm-hmm. of jesus so if i can tie any of those things mm-hmm. to christ his death his resurrection and his ascension even if it's a marian dogma teaching on the mass teaching about the papacy that's the conversion moment that i'm working for in every talk and in that is the understanding and change, right? Everything must die. So Frank Sheed's thing was everything boils down to the union of man with God in Christ Jesus. So tell them what the union is, tell them who man is, tell them who God is, and tell them who Jesus Christ is. And if you can do that while giving a talk on any other subject, 
you've you've evangelized and catechized. So yeah, um, uh, my other piece of advice that I would say to someone young is, it's great to watch a lot of Fulton Sheen because he is the master of the formal rhetoric. It is great to wa- to listen to excellent speakers like um, you know someone who breaks down a lot of catechetical or, or apologetics or evangelizing comp- um, topics that can really like give you a lot. Like, great, consume those, listen to those. Uh, but also, you know, watch a lot of comedians. Hmm. Comedians demonstrate for you how to read a room, how different comedians have wildly different styles, but they can be as effective yeah. as anyone else. So what I found is a lot of people ape styles of their favorite speakers, but they themselves, that's not their personality. Right. Right. And if that's not your personality, then don't do that because it'll come across as like really fake and forced. You might have a very dry sense of humor. Don't try to do other things. Don't sit up there and tell knock knock jokes as your intro thing. Like draw them in with your people love dry sense of humor as much as they do all the other kinds. Right. It's just it's just going to hit different. People say this all the time. Don't try to be something that you're not. But that is especially true about trying to incorporate being funny and reading a room. And for me, I'm constantly looking around at the faces of people who are the most disengaged. Right. And usually when you give a talk, there's at least one woman who's a head nodder that no matter what you say, her head is bobbing and she's the smiling. Best. Yes, the yeah, best. And she's so affirming. <laughs> yeah, she is the best. Thank you, Sue, from Parish Council. Um, but the the other thing is, I'm, but I mostly care about the people who don't care. Hmm. And this might just be my background of running a lot of youth retreats, especially confirmation, high school confirmations up where they all hate you in that room. But my goal is to constantly try to win them over. And if I find that giving that opening up the gospel, like I'm correcting misunderstandings of who Jesus is, that's not doing it. So then I'll lean on humility. I'll lean on being funny. I'll lean on self-deprecating humor. I'll lean on all this stuff. You know, half the time they're already making the jokes about me anyway, so I might as well be in on it. Um, You know, I'll, I'll do things to like, did they laugh at that versus this? And I'm just running the script in my head the whole time. Like, check the room, check the room, check the room. They liked it. They liked it. They liked it. That person didn't. Okay, let's go back. How can I draw them in? Right. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I shift I'll, mid talk. I'll go on a tangent and tell a story that I think will do a, a um, build a bridge a little bit more effectively than, you know, more doctrinal points or kind of teaching things out. And so I'm constantly and that's what comedians do. Right. Oh, that joke hit. Why did that joke hit? Oh, that joke hit because blah, blah, blah. OK, well, I'm going to do more of setup and make that joke hit even harder the next time I do this act. But right now, let's let's spend time on this. Right. And I just think speakers like I got my written talk, I got my, you know, thing, I got my goals, and I'm just going to walk through it kind of stoically. I, I think that's a failure. So how do you navigate the spontaneity that you're proposing while also getting to the goal? You could end up, I feel like maybe I would, just chasing that connection without actually maybe ever arriving there and actually not getting to where you need to go. That that would seem like a big kind of tension and balance. So what I basically do, I'm, I got this uh, book here. I usually buy a moleskin journal, mm-hmm. simple little moleskin. Yep. I open it up flat on my desk and I handwrite notes. Okay. And the notes, it's a, if it's an hour talk, if it's a 20 minute talk, the notes cannot go more than an open moleskin book. And I Both start sides. on the normal page. Yep. And then if I, yeah. And then, and then I'll, I'll end on the, it's almost like I'm going in Hebrew and I'm reading oh, backwards, but yeah. I start on the le- the right hand side and then I go to the left page if I need it. And usually what I do is I'll write one sentence or bullet points 
descriptors. Sometimes I just write a list of words that keeps my talk focused because I already know what my topic is. I, and I might hand write out this theme scripture always involves scripture. Why not bring the most anointed words in human history into your, into your talk? Um, if I have any quotes, I'll write the quotes down here because I want to make sure I'm hitting the quotes. Um, totally. I do not use AV almost. I, I never have. I, I, I have seen so many amazing presentations bomb because the projector didn't work. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I've had times where my microphone doesn't work. And if that doesn't work, like, oh my goodness, what else could possibly go? I've been a part of setups where they have $50,000 AV, you know, companies or $100,000 worth of AV budget. And the full time production crew, it's something goes wrong, right? In a PowerPoint, <laughs> nothing too complicated than a PowerPoint. How do I prepare? How do I allow spontaneity? I mean, I am always praying through my talks. I'm always doing that stuff. Uh, I have enough subject matter knowledge when I enter. Like you could say to me, okay, I want you to give a 20 minute talk on Our Lady. And I could do that without preparing anything. Right. And so that's what I'm talking about. That level of confidence. Like I can give you a talk on Mary. But if I have certain points that I need to hit, they go on the paper. Mm. They're right here. They keep me on track. And I always end in prayer. And I always end with some form of invitation to change their lives. Yeah. Right. Some mode, some measure, some challenge. Lately, I've been like a curmudgeon old man and challenging people a lot more. Um, but I always try to end with a huge change. So with that, could you give me an example? Again, well, let's stick with the Marian theme here. And I'm assuming it, it needs to be connected to the material that you've been sharing. You don't have sort of this canned change piece that you just bolt on <laughs> yeah. to every talk. Right. But what would that challenge or what would that change look like that isn't just understanding could you give me an example almost like we're doing it here so i do not just um i don't bolt things on at the end necessarily like like okay uh, perfect example so i gave two talks at my parish i go to a very small ordinary parish um there's like 200 families where, where church is in a barn it's exquisite and it's ad orientum and it's you know like we love it and liturgy is the main thing but I don't know if you've ever been a part of like a traditional community, but traditionalists have the reputation of being a bunch of jerks. And one of the reasons why I've discovered over time is every community has the potential to be a bunch of jerks because what they do is they take the thing that they're good at and they say, this is the most important thing. Yeah. And then the things that they're not good at, they dismiss. Hmm. And so you go to more liberal parishes and they're very good at welcoming and community and whatever, but they, they just butcher the liturgy, right? Or you have people that really care about the liturgy and they don't do a very good job of the community and welcoming. So I'm at a place that does a flawless job with liturgy. And so I said, when people are on the outside of a small community, it feels terrible because there's nowhere to hide, hmm. right? So my whole talk, I would say I gave a 15-minute introduction and I gave a 30-minute chastisement, rebuking, exhortation, and challenge to be to love your neighbor as yourself, hmm. right? Now, in a Marian talk, my principal goal, so in inclusion, my principal goal would be um, that that saying from the cross that Jesus said, uh, behold your mother. And from that very hour, the disciple took her into his home. Mm. So my change is from the moment I'm done talking, you are in love with Mary and you desire to bring her into your home. Sure. Right. So it's that understanding. So my talk itself, if I'm giving this to a bunch of Protestants who want to become Catholic, but Mary is, you know, <laughs> oh so contrary 
I'm, I want to answer their objections to like, oh gosh, I, I don't know if I like, if this feels like I'm paganism, I'm taking my eyes off of Jesus. So the whole talk is showing how Mary puts your eyes on Jesus, right? And then within that moment, the change would be things like, okay, so what I passed out to you all tonight is how to pray the rosary. What I want you to do, and, and here's rosaries that, you know, the, the old ladies in the St. Leonard Guild or whatever we call it at our church, uh, you know, they, they make the rosary. It's like, these are your rosaries. These are all, you know, and these are made for you. And they're, I got them blessed today by the priest. So already you're layering on things that are happening outside the talk have been happening for them in the talk. Mm. Like a pre, a, a woman handmade this, a priest prayed over this, right? It's been blessed. Uh, here's a pamphlet that I worked on all day to help you with the rosary. So now we're in this, right? So what I want you to do to change is I want you to trust our lady and bring her into your home. And maybe tomorrow morning, I want you to wake up 15 minutes early and pray the rosary, mm -hmm. right? So it, it's not just, okay, so in summary, at the end, what I want you to do today or tomorrow is set aside some time to pray the rosary. You're building this entire momentum to the change because what I want is for them to become people who love Mary. What I want is for them to become the type of people who pray the rosary, right? I don't just want them to do it like a, a chore or a task. I want them to do it as a way of life, right? Yeah. Again, so the, the point is, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you want to stand at the foot of the cross, you need to take Mary into your home. You need to let Mary be your mother, right? So that's how I would say I, I build that out into uh, uh, a whole way of change instead of just a, I mean, and there's a time and place for practicals, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It sounds like your whole talk is informed by that by that change and that the change isn't simply an afterthought. I mean, I suppose you could have woken up that morning and some, or somebody could have and go, oh, yeah, I should encourage them to pray the rosary tomorrow. Um, yeah, that, that'd be fine. That'd be a good thing to say, probably. But all of these really important breadcrumbs you dropped to help them kind of move in that direction and be ready by that point. Coupled with the understanding. So your understanding, in some ways, it sounds like is is informed in large part by the change that you're hoping to see in their life. You need both. Yeah. Um, and and there's there's probably a, a really healthy tension there, but they do have to fit together um and and kind yeah. of make sense, you know, coherently together. Yeah. The the way I put it is uh let me ask you a couple of questions. Are there white people in heaven? Are you asking me? Yeah. Are there white people in hell? Yeah, I'm asking you a question. Are there, are there white people in heaven? <laughs> yes. Are there? Okay. Are there white people in hell? I don't know if anybody's in hell. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, gosh. We got <laughs> a universalist Sorry. here. Bust out the catechism. <laughs> no, I Okay. Just, okay. Well, let me, you know, let me put it this way. So I usually could go white through like people this go to hell. Sure. Process. Yeah. 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 Right. So we know that whiteness doesn't, is not an essential characteristic of what keeps you in or out of heaven or hell. Right. True. So I go through this with people. I ask them these questions. I go, are there smart people in heaven? Yes. Are there smart people in hell? Yes. Okay. Are there holy people in heaven? Yes. Are there holy people in hell? No. Holiness is the one thing that separates the, the kingdom of God from the kingdom of Satan, right? Right. It's none of these other things. So if I am trying to make people smart about Catholicism, they could end up in hell, right? For all eternity, separated from God and have this knowledge that never led to change, mm. right? But if they do the holy thing, if they live their knowledge, if they change their lives, they'll become holy, right? 
proximity to our Lord is both the definition of holiness and the definition of heaven because they're the same thing, right? Communion with God, the union of man with God in Christ Jesus. So I don't just want to, like, there comes a point where you have to teach the Hail Mary in order to teach someone to pray the rosary. But within that is I want them to become the type of people who love to pray the rosary. So there's an understanding component and there's an apathy component or an ignorance component and an apathy component. It is easier to speak to ignorance and give them a list of facts. It is harder to answer apathy. And the only way I know how to do that is by prayer to the Holy Spirit, spending a sweat in the details about your talk, you know, obviously being open to the Holy Spirit, changing it on a dime, but also bringing the charisma, the the passion, death and resurrection of Jesus into the center of it. Right. Because what you're doing is you're always keeping the union of man with God in Christ Jesus. And so by doing that, you're drawing people ever into holiness, not just knowledge. Yeah. I mean, I just think of all the all the Catholic professors that don't pray, but they study the Bible. All these atheists who, you know, and it's like this, everyone on A&E's Mysteries of the Bible <laughs> have lost the forest for the sake of the trees. Right. Like, yeah. So so you're right in Man. saying that your observation is dead on. My whole talk is about change because yeah. my whole talk in, at the end of the day is hopefully they'll become holier when I've walked off that podium, gotten off that stage, put down that microphone. That doesn't happen by accident. You know, oops, oops, I just gave a great, I, I think you can by accident give a great talk that's just focused on understanding because you're just yeah. sharing yeah. your knowledge. You are that smart. You're a professor of theology. You are whatever, but it, it will never happen by accident that I don't think that uh, you would give a talk that would actually move people uh, to change their lives. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but it's, it feels like it's not something that um, just by default will be. Although I suppose listening to a saint, they could just be sharing about their lives and it, it is just so overwhelmingly compelling their witness is so moving. So I suppose it could happen in some of those sorts of ways, but um, we have a lot more professors of theology than we do saints walking around. Yeah, and I would say the saint, my, my last kind of big chunk of advice is, uh, I stole this from a Protestant pastor, Francis Chan. He said, um, imagine if the Lord appeared to you today and said, I want you to go to the closest cemetery tonight and I'm not asking for everyone, but just one person. I want you to raise them from the dead, right? The Lord tells you, I want you to go raise one person from the dead in the, in the cemetery. And he said, who would you take with you to go raise that one person from the dead? And he's like the praise band, right? Like a really good talker, right? That no, he's like, if you could only take one person with you, you would go to your church and find the person who has the absolute best prayer life. Yeah. And you would go raise the dead. When I do my talks, honestly, this is this is one of like the weird things that I do. Um, remember when Jesus says, uh, uh, if you want to plunder the house of a strong man, you have to first bind him, right? Yep. And then you can plunder. I, I, you know, usually I try to get away about 30 minutes before, especially I'm doing like a parish mission. I try to get to the church about an hour early, run through everything. And then I go and I find the tabernacle and I kneel down and I, I, you know, set my prayers and go through my talk and present it before the Lord and all this stuff. But then I'll say when it's time, I'll grab my Bible like a, like a battle axe. And I'll just say, all right, Lord Jesus, by your cross and resurrection, you have bound the strong man. Hmm. And tonight with you, I'm going to plunder his house. Hmm. Right. So give me the Holy Spirit that I can do that. 
Thomas Aquinas and, and, and St. Augustine said it is a greater thing for an individual, for a sinner to convert than for all of creation to disappear. Cause we have, we have an immortal nobility that creation doesn't. So we're going to raise the dead, right? Don't you want to be praying? That's why the saints could give a talk, could give a formation or an information talk and it changed people's lives because they're not. Because they're they're preceded by the Holy Spirit. They're immersed in the life of the Holy Spirit. Their holiness is talking even before they give their talk. Amen. And hopefully we do that. That's why, uh, you know, as part of the ordinary it's Anglican tradition background, I got this wonderful little prayer book here. It's called the Mine's Well Worn. It's touched to every holy site in Jerusalem or in Israel that I could do. Um, it's called the St. Gregory's Prayer Book. And uh, reading through a lot of Newman's prayers, right? The, you know, the radiance prayer, let me spread your fragrance everywhere that I go. Like praying through that stuff and being like, yes, when they hear me, Lord, may they only hear you. Being in confession, being in adoration, going to mass, having a personal prayer life, being steeped in scripture, that's all the necessary work before giving a talk, right? We want to focus on the the immediate stuff, but the the real preparation is, are you in, in living communion with the Holy Spirit? Because you can't make a disciple if you're not a disciple. So I tell this to young men all the time. I'm like, I want to be a speaker. And I'm like, great. Uh, call me when you have at least two or three years with your pornography addiction under control. And then we can do this because you're limiting your effectiveness, mm. right? You are. We absolutely aren't. You can't raise the dead when you're one of them. Okay. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. Thanks so much just for just for going there and and really kind of digging into a lot of the practical details, because this is where I think most people operate. Most of the talks that are given are not on stages and not in front of thousands of people, but uh, in front of right. 22, you know, sixth graders this Wednesday night. And somebody's got to talk about Mary and they're not quite sure what they're doing. That's happening thousands of times over, you know, this week, just as I've heard you on Every Knee Shall Bow. And um, just your your heart for the parish, your heart for catechesis, but your heart for evangelization and catechesis kind of working together to make saints. But I also yeah. love how practical you, you've broken it down to help people see this is possible. This is available. We can and must uh, do this. Super fruitful. Where could people connect with what God's doing with you online and in your other podcasts uh, as well? Yeah, sure. Thanks. I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. Layevangelist.com is a website seen by dozens. Uh, <laughs> so I've had it for 14 years, I think. Um, still don't have a security certificate. I don't know why. It's just a stupid Squarespace site. But uh, I have a lot of, you know, I have some writings on there. I have uh, a blog post I'm trying to update more often. But um, uh, that's basically the hub. And then I have my podcast, Catching Foxes, uh, which is kind of like an irreverent look at faith and culture. And then um, Every Knee Shall Bow, which is your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. I do that with a buddy of mine, Dave Van Bickle, um, and that's hosted by Ascension Press. You can find that at ascensionpress.com. And you go click their media and then podcast stuff. Yes, the same network as uh, good old Father Mike Schmitz, who's the handsomest man in podcasting. Um, and then, yeah, the other stuff, I have a SoundCloud account. Since this is about mostly speakers and stuff like that, um, let me give you guys my SoundCloud account, yeah. the, the wannabe YouTube of audio. It's like a bunch of electronic artists, wannabe rappers, and me. Um, but no, SoundCloud.com slash AMD Gomer. So A-M-D-G. Nice. And then the G is Gomer. Yeah, and you can find literally 300 plus talks on there. So, yeah. 
real quick on that, do you record all of your talks kind of as a rule or, I mean, how do you get all of those, those talks on there? What's been your, just your approach to capturing it? Wear a shirt with a breast pocket, get an iPhone, put it in airplane mode, uh, turn the, the, the thing to silent mode and then turn it upside down in voice memos and hit record, put it in your breast pocket and drop it in there. Um, turn the screen outward it might light up from time to time but it's better than doing what i've actually done which is my nipple hits the off button <laughs> and stops the recording. Are you that's serious? awful uh whoopsie maybe wear a thicker undershirt but uh <laughs> yeah i, I record uh, if i'm giving a talk in a, in a in a room that can hear me uh that i can get the recording well um I, I just record on my own as a backup you know usually parishes will record their own if i'm doing like a big event or something yeah. but I found that more often than not, people are like, oh, no, it didn't record all the way. And I'm like, I got my backup, baby. So, yeah, I record everything. Awesome. And the iPhone is great. At, <laughs> I mean, it's a it's an excellent recorder in that it'll do a great yeah. job. So is that SoundCloud account linked on your layevangelist.com site? No, I don't. I don't know. It should be. It should be. <laughs> well, listen, I will. I will link to that and to Catching Foxes and Every Knee Shall Bow and that uh, super amazing uh, non-rapper indie artist uh preacher page on soundcloud so (laughs) this is great man gomer thanks a lot for for joining me on the show i really appreciate getting to connect today awesome thank you for having me god bless you bet